0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Molk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as sometimes writer, frequent emotion haver, Top's mother, massive tryhard and friend, freelancer for hire. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Anna Spargo Ryan. Hello, Anna. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Um, Usually to myself because I'm not often in social situations. Yep. But otherwise, otherwise, leaving aside that hilarious joke that I'm sure no one else from the internet has ever made, um, as a writer, I introduce myself as a writer.
0: Have you always been a writer?
1: Um, No. I've always written, but... I, and I've actually written about when I decided that I was a writer and I don't know when that was exactly, but it was sometime in the past four years. So there was a point where I thought I don't know if I can call myself a writer and then there was a point where I thought I'm definitely a writer and I don't know <laughs> what happened in between mm-hmm. those two points. There was definitely, a, yeah, a point at which I transitioned in my own mind from being a writer Or to being a writer, if I'm not a writer,
0: yeah. That's a a little bit meta.
1: Yes, that's how I like to do most things in my life.
0: Uh, Are most things in your life too big or too small?
1: Too small. Yeah, too small. Like my world is quite small and my... Mm My living room that I'm in now is too small, and my cat is, like, undersized. He's too small, and <laughs> mostly the amount of cake that I have is too too small. Um, I mean,
0: cake is always too small.
1: Yeah, like, it's always a bit smaller than I would like. But then there are other things in my life that are too big, like – looming deadlines, mm-hmm. you know, and um, like the tree that's in my backyard, that I would like to build an extension onto this small living room, but there's this enormous oak tree in the way, so I can't because I love the tree, so I can't kill it, which is really like <sighs> loving things is really inconvenient for things like that. So I have to keep the tree, keep my small room. But um, I feel actually like a lot of the things in my life are, Quite extreme, I think, is probably the answer to that question. Lots of them are either too big or too small and not many things just are in the middle.
0: What things are the right size?
1: You know, I have actually this conversation with my sister quite often about how much I would really love things to be bigger or smaller than they are, like disproportionately. Mm. I'd really love to have a tiny, tiny giraffe like (laughs) that. was the size of like a snail and then I would love to have a slater that was the size of my house and I really love the idea of enormously wrongly sized things so that I actually think about that more often than you might imagine (laughs) um but sadly not a thing like my favorite idea in the world really is the kraken and I love the idea that there's a really ginormous sea creature that lives just under the water and um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah um, I can't remember what the question was I'm now I'm thinking about tiny giraffes running around on my desk
0: the the question was what are the normal sized things in your life
1: um, I have quite normal sized dogs medium sized dogs mm-hmm. I have a, a an average sort of sized car um that's really kind of all I can think of. I have, yeah, lots of big and small things, like big ideas and small ideas and big uh, surroundings and then very small surroundings. And, uh, but, not, yeah, not a lot that just sits in the middle, which is, you know, it's okay. It's a lot of to and fro, a lot of being flung around, so that's all right. Sure. Hmm.
0: What challenges you?
1: Going outside. Um, very little challenges me mentally in the mm-hmm. in the sense of um, I can process most things and I can uh, think through a lot of things and I can you know work to work under stress well and I can um, I think deal with issues with my children quite successfully and you know I've navigated getting divorced reasonably successfully and big things in my life that I've been able to manage quite well. And then mm. I, I struggle with the smaller stuff, just, um, yeah, literally going outside. Some days I just honestly can't go outside at all. Um, and that seems to be such an easy thing to, and I just cannot fathom it sometimes, yet in a, in a crisis um, I'm, you know, I'm the person who's level-headed in an emergency. Um, I seem to work through extreme challenges much better than I do just the day-to-day stuff, and I'm, I'm not really sure why that is, but it, that's a long-standing issue that I have, where I just can't, yeah, can't get my head around just sitting in the day and doing the normal day-to-day things without just making mm-hmm. enormous drama or um making things more complicated than they need to be so that i can process them Mm -hmm. Hmm. um yeah but I, i like having people around me that challenge me people who have interesting perspectives on things or who have ideas about things that i don't have ideas about or that i've got conflicting ideas about or who uh make me think about things in a way that I haven't before. And that I, I really enjoy that challenge. Um, and I also like to challenge myself uh, in different ways. I like to be challenged at work and I like to make sure that I continue to uh, push myself more and more in the work that I do in um, mm. learning new things and trying new ways of approaching things and um, working on different contracts and things like that. Um, but also like buying the woman's day, Um, puzzle book and doing puzzles in the puzzle book. um, My dad and I are very competitive people and I bought one of those big bumper puzzle books from the supermarket and then sent copies. So um, like scanned and emailed copies of some of the puzzles in that book to him one at a time and then we raced. So I'd say, I've sent you this email of this puzzle, ready, Go and then the person who finished it first was the winner. And we've done that for years. We used to set up our laptops facing like battleships back to back, and um and play Free Cell. And in Free Cell, which was that old card game on Windows, in Windows yep. ninety eight, I think, um you could choose the game number, so you could both get on your laptop and then go. Okay, we'll play like game ten, which would be exactly the same, and we would yes. race. And this is how we spent. He and I lived together just the two of us, in Sydney for a little while, and that was how we spent our evenings, like racing in free sales. So, you know, that's how I like to party. I like, I like that kind of <laughs> mental challenge, I guess, yeah.
0: When you let your hair down and cut loose with friends, what does that look like?
1: <laughs> it looks like playing board games. We have Mm -hmm. a lot of board games. I have um, dozens and dozens of board games and really nerdy board games. We have eight, what have we got? We've got four different kinds of risk um, and then we've got games like we have lots of Settlers of Catan. We've got all the Carcassonne expansions. We've got like Munchkin and all of the expansions for Munchkin and um, all these, a lot of them are European designed games and they're kind of um, like really basic strategic games. They are really, really good puns so We play a lot of those. And a lot of our friends come around and play them on it. Like on a Friday night or a Saturday night we can often be found doing that, playing some of these quite um, socially unacceptable in normal circles Board games. I've been yep. pleased to find on Twitter actually other people who also really like these games. That's been really nice because I don't feel like I'm the only person in the world doing this on a Friday night. But um, so that and I also really like to cook for my friends. So when we do have board games evenings, it's often me cooking as well, um, and lots of laughing. We have really lovely, fun, smart, interesting friends who have just interesting stories to tell and who laugh a lot. And um, so it's usually, yeah, usually kind of sitting based. It's been a long time since I um, spent, you know, a whole night until 6am sitting at the pub. But, um, but yeah, we have quite uh, quiet um, activity based kind of stuff. And then, yeah, just lots of chatting and laughing and, and eating
0: How do you describe your experience of family?
1: Um, I have a really great immediate family, like my parents and my brother and sister. So my mum and dad, I'm the eldest. My mum and dad had me when they were in their early 30s. They'd been married for a long time when they had me. So it was a very deliberate decision, which is really (laughs) nice, actually. Um, And they are just incredibly generous and supportive and kind and just wonderful people. They are the, I don't even know how to describe. I have this mother who is an Im, just incredible role model. She's um, an amazing businesswoman. She's a very uh, kind spirited grandmother and mother, and um, she just always has time to talk to me, even though she's really busy with work. And she's a fantastic role model for my daughters as well. I feel very very lucky to have her. Um, and my dad is just like this just. Uh, jovial kind of very warm man who loves everybody as as well as he knows how to like everything mm. to him is his family just he is always focused on how he can improve the lives of the people in his family which is just it I'm so so lucky and then I've got a little brother and sister who are also both just really kind and and generous with their time and generous with their thoughts and who actually seem to like spending time with me. And like we were we we're quite a close family. Um, and then my brother has a family with two little kids who are also hilarious. Um, and then in my family, I have my two children. So I've got two daughters, one is 12 and one is 10. Um, mm. And they are quite, I think they're quite exceptional children. They're sort of they're quite different from each other, but the elder daughter is very sciencey. She loves space and she wants to be an astrophysicist. And she's very, very smart, um, wow. but she's quite dorky. She's sort of got, got <laughs> where she's kind of really one in the in the smartness stakes. She's really lost in the social. So she just she doesn't. She's better at it now. She has her little also dorky space friends now um Mm. but for a long time she didn't know how to interact with people really and so she was quite introverted and introspective and spent a lot of time reading she loves reading and writing and so she's like this yeah little very smart bookworm and then my other daughter is this sort of social activist and she's um She's very creative and she's very outgoing and she's very sensitive and she worries a lot and she worries Mm -hmm. about lots of things. She builds websites. She she built a website where she could put photos of animals that she had seen on rescue sites so that people could get kind of, you know, a a list of all of the available animals (laughs) in rescue places at that one time and that kind of thing. She's very um, Mm -hmm. mindful of what is happening in the world. She really hates, hates Tony Abbott. So she often will say things to me about Tony Abbott and I kind of think, well, I don't know if she's just regurgitating what I'm saying, but she seems to be quite angry about a lot of the stuff that the Abbott government is doing. And this is, whereas my other daughter just doesn't probably even know what they're doing. So they're quite different. Um, And then I have two dogs. One has one eye um, and is just a big lump, stupid, stupid dog. And then my other one is this hyper, hyper intelligent dog who is just so nervous that she a couple of weeks ago my daughter had a friend over who'd never been here before and the parents and the daughter came to my front door and i answered the door and this dog ran out and started kind of she's very very friendly so she started interacting with this family that we'd never seen before and was really excited to have People that she didn't know. So she peed all over this poor child. Oh. So this little girl was hugging the dog and then suddenly was kind of in a puddle of just dog urine. And her parents just looked at me like, what is happening? And I just looked at the dog, like, what have you done? And the poor dog just <laughs> sitting there staring at me like, I know what I've done and I don't know what to do now. So she does that a lot actually when we uh, were first talking to her breeder about her they said one thing you should know about her is that she's a nervous we and if that's not okay then you probably shouldn't have her and I kind of thought oh yeah you know she's only a baby she's probably just but she's nearly six now and she still wees nervously every single day I watch her do a, a weird kind of nervy wee outside and just think you're a mess and then think I really relate to you she's like, <laughs> just, it's just a ball of nerves um, and then I've got two cats. I've got Oscar who is this old man he's 10 and, um, and then Norman who is um, on the internet. So he's a little idiot cat, angry, hates, hates everybody, just isn't sociable at all. So he's quite fun to be around because he just, his disdain is just so overt and you just think he really hates me. I have to win his love. And um, that's sort of my whole my whole purpose in life at the moment is to try to win Norman over.
0: Do you get nervous incontinence? <laughs> I
1: don't think so. I don't think I've ever weed from nerves. I've done other things. I've vomited from nerves. I don't think I've weed, and not like <laughs> incontinently, not this uncontrollable, just panic-stricken face afterwards, what have I done kind of a weed, no. Mm.
0: What made you so nervous you threw up?
1: Um, oh, lots of things make me so nervous that I feel like I'm going to throw up, but not the things you would imagine. So I sing and have been on stage a lot and that doesn't I, – I don't feel nervous about that. Um, Speaking in front of people doesn't make me feel nervous, but then like going to the shops makes me feel nervous. And some it does, it's not always the same things. Some days I cope very well with things that would um, on other days make me very, very nervous. It's usually – a situation where I haven't prepared very well for it, that usually makes me the most nervous. I'm not very good at being spontaneous. Like I need to, I like spontaneity in theory, but I like to know what's happening more. So if someone came to me and said, you know, oh, we're going on a romantic holiday to, to, you know, Bali, let's go. We're going now. I wouldn't be able to go. Mm. There's no way. Mm. I would just, I need more time to prepare so anything where I'm not well prepared, that's when I get really nervous.
0: What are you really passionate about?
1: Mm. Passionate about creative expression. So i mostly write, but mm. I also draw. I'm not good at drawing at all, but I find it to be.
0: Amen, sister.
1: Oh, I always thought I should be better at drawing for some reason. Like I, it, it's always something that I thought. Yeah yeah, I I can do that. Of course I, you know, I'm a creative person, I can draw, but I just can't. I really can't. So my dad is a really good drawer and I, I have often looked at his things and thought, well, you know, genetically like I but I cannot, but I still find it to be quite a, an interesting means of expressing myself creatively. Um, uh-huh. I like to combine words and drawing together um, and I, and I sing so that I find to be a very good release of creative tension or um, a way of kind of um, oiling the uh, oiling the hinges on creativity if I'm feeling yeah. like I haven't been creative for a little while then it's rusty singing is a good way to get that moving again yeah um, But I'm very passionate about people being able to express themselves um, and especially to express their passions. I don't really mind what people's passions are. I find passion about something in general to be a very attractive quality in people, whatever it is. Um, So I'm, I guess, quite passionate about passionate um, yeah, writing is my big passion. That's my lifelong one. That I think, if if someone said to me, you know, you can do one thing every day forever, what's it going to be? It would be that. It, I find being able to write in a way that feels like it's coming out of out of some part inside of me, rather than something that I'm thinking about consciously for each sentence, is it's a very mm. empowering kind of a feeling to be able to just think, okay, that's, I've, you know, I've kind of channeled this, oh, this is so yes. dweeby and terrible, but like that, I've channeled that emotion through, through my body and out onto the page. If I write something that feels like that, then I feel like I've really, um, yeah, I've really been able to tap into my passion and cooking. I'm passionate about cooking. My brother is a chef and, um, he teaches me a lot of stuff because I'm not I'm not necessarily a very good cook, but I really like the act of cooking. Mm. So I'm trying to get him to teach me more and more things so I won't be so awful at it because um, there was a period where I poisoned my family quite often. <laughs> so, I yeah, I'm trying to develop a wider portfolio of things that I can cook, some more bigger, better repertoire of kind of food that tastes good as well as not being poisoned.
0: What's your favourite kind of takeaway food? Mm,
1: It's a toss-up. I love Thai food. Thai takeaway is Mm. just so wonderful. Money bags, Thai money bags (laughs) might be the worst food you can eat for your body. Like they're really, there's nothing of good value in them at all. But, God, they taste amazing. So Mm. Thai food and uh, I like chicken pad thai the best. Um, And I also like, yeah, and uh, I like massman curry, lamb or beef. Um, I don't like rotty bread very much though, So, which is weird because it's all the things I like. Like it's bread and oil, which is really, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can't really go wrong with bread and oil. But, uh, yeah, or um, or I like uh, a good wood-fired pizza, but that's pretty standard. So if I had to choose, it would be Thai almost every time.
0: What happened the last time your heart was broken?
1: Oh, God. <sighs> um, Because I feel a lot of things very deeply, Mm -hmm. which I like to do. If I couldn't do that, then I would feel like uh, I wasn't a a true representation of myself, I guess. But my heart gets broken on a small level most of the time. Like I I really, the other day I had this memory about my dad bought me, um, he bought me a Pearl Jam CD. I can't remember which one it was. But he bought it from like a service station where he had, they had a whole lot of CDs. There oh, um, Faith No More's album of the year was another one. He picked them up for I think they were $10 each and I was about 14 I guess. Mm-hmm. And he brought them home and he was so pleased with himself that he had got these CDs that he thought were really hip. And they, like they were, they're they both amazing CDs. But um, the way that he was about it where he was, kind of trying to be hipper than he was and trying to relate to me and he didn't need to. And, and at the time I felt really sad about it because I didn't want him to feel like he had to do that with me. But then when I thought of it the other day, I start like just spontaneously crying. It's so mm-hmm. ridiculous. I just, there's another memory that I have of my dad renting us weekend at Bernie's, too, which was the worst movie <laughs> I can remember. But he was really excited to bring it home to us. And be like, look what I got. We can watch this together. And it was so bad. But I couldn't tell him that because I, you know, and so I, I have a lot of memories like that <laughs> that just float around waiting to kind of strike me down. And that happens a lot. Um, I also kind of get personally offended by a lot of things and, um, my children do things that break my heart all the time. And I think about just like the lovely things that they did or on the other hand, times that they were upset. So my daughter last night, my 10 year old said to me, um, that she couldn't sleep because she was worried about these old viruses that computers used to get in the nineties. I don't know if you remember, but you could get a virus where, and I had one a couple of times where like a face would come up on your screen and Mm. laugh at you and then tell you it was going to shut your computer down and then your computer would shut down. And I told her about this and now she can't, like three months ago, now she can't sleep because she's worried it will happen on her computer, which it just, and so I felt last night, I was kind of, oh, my God, that poor poor little child. She's she's so worried about something that just doesn't require worrying at all. Um, But, yeah, in my personal relationship, um, I feel heartbroken a lot. I, my partner and I have very different ideas about what's what's important to think about in life um, and we've had a, a hard time together over a period of years. So we've been together for eight years and that eight-year period has included lots of things that have been very difficult at the time but that have also had long-term effects on our relationship and our ability to deal with um to deal with difficulties in our relationship now that it, they still this kind of residual um residual sadness i guess um in our relationship that can make yeah additional difficulty um quite difficult They just get lumped on top of it um and that even you know i don't know probably weekly i think what is this what are we doing what is this about but i don't want to not You know, I don't want to be without him, but also, you know, can we ever move past a lot of this stuff that doesn't always come up in our day-to-day life? It rarely comes up, but it Mm. sort of just lingers. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a shadow that is around our relationship that's, you know, you guys might get it together now, but remember how all that bad stuff happened? I think you should think about that as well. And, like, you can only think about your relationship now in the context of all those terrible things that happened before. And um, so that's another one of the things that's quite, that is big in my life that I wish was (laughs) normal-sized, where I kind of think this relationship is, it has more things in it than it really needs to. It's got all these extra, extra stories in it. That don't make it a necessarily a healthy relationship now, um, and we both have depression. So if we're both depressed at the same time, which we are at the moment, it's very, very challenging. And uh, that's very, yeah. I watched him the other night. Just he um, he has a chronic injury, mm-hmm. and um, and I thought he looked upset. And uh, I thought he was upset with something that I had did, I had did, that I had done. <laughs> um, and he wasn't. He was just struggling with his chronic, the chronicness. Mm. And that was that was probably when I was when I last felt heartbroken. I guess based on how I'm feeling now, <laughs> that was probably it.
0: Are, are you all right, mate? Do you want to take yeah, a break? Yeah, no, through? no,
1: okay. Um, I cry a lot. I really like crying. Um, I'm a big crier. I cried everything, so it's not unusual for me to cry. But it was unusual for him to cry, and it just, um, yeah, it just, it made me think about, um, like everybody with their individual battles. And mm-hmm. I, I can get mm-hmm. quite focused on my own where I think, you know, oh, I'm so anxious, I'm so depressed and forget that there are so many other people who are as well. And, um, you know, and their their experience with it is not better or worse than mine. You know, it's their own. They only know their own experience. So um, anybody who's feeling these sorts of emotions, you um, just has this kind of one debilitating experience to contend with and different people contend with it better than others. Um, but that they're all valid and I had forgotten, I think I'd been quite self-focused. So even when he was upset, I still thought it was about me. You know, my first response Mm. was to kind of think what have I done? What's wrong with me? Not maybe this is something that is just him, um so yeah, so that was probably that was probably the most recent time that I, I felt heartbroken.
0: Well, thank you for, for sharing that, Anna. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I'm a bit of an oversharer. <laughs>
0: do you think that people focus too often on the negative aspects of tears and crying?
1: Yes. Yeah, I definitely do. Um yeah, I think uh, most of the time if I'm feeling sad and I am crying, which is, you know, this is that's like the third or fourth time I've cried today, <laughs> um, that most of the time someone will try to get me to stop. And I think it's mostly that other people are not comfortable with watching people crying, that it's yeah. kind of how do I fix it and that people go into fixing mode like here's a person who's upset and I don't know what to do now and I don't know how to fix it and actually... It isn't always. It isn't always negative. You know, mm-hmm. People can be moved by all kinds of things, and they're not always. It's not always sadness. It's possible that people are just crying because yeah, something has moved them, or they've had a a memory that has touched them, or they've seen something that has made them feel an emotion that is expressed in that way. And I think um, we've been conditioned to to sort of perceive that crying is a way of expressing dissatisfaction and sadness and anger and that kind of thing when actually I don't feel that way. I feel I'm quite relieved actually when I'm able to feel something well enough to, to cry about it that, you know, if I um, feel an emotion that is strong enough about something um, that I have that kind of physical response to it that I think, well, how, you know, how nice that I'm able to have, experiences in my life that move me in that way. Not sadness. Like I don't, <laughs> don't feel grateful to be sad, mm-hmm. but I do feel grateful to be um, connected that much with my emotions, I guess. Um, it definitely helps with the creative activity that I do. It helps me with writing to feel I often cry while I'm writing and that's not negative. That's, you know, it's just about, you um, Either you know a memory that's very strong, or a relationship with someone that is very moving or emotionally charged for some reason, or it, and it isn't doesn't need to be fixed, and it doesn't need to be stopped. You know, it, it's not. I'm not going to cry for ever and ever. <laughs> it's just about you know, it's a release of tension and it's a release of emotion. And I think it's I think it's fine. I think unless someone doesn't want to be crying or is in you know, other sorts of clear distress as well as crying. Then it's sort of just part of like human expression. I think. I think it's that and not negative. I think, but I'm quite romanticising in my approach to um to kind of mood and and um yeah deep deepness <laughs> in almost like a teenager. I, I mean, as you can probably imagine, I was quite an emo slash kind of goth teenager with my lip piercings and my you know black clothes and just feeling all the feelings and um i in some ways probably haven't outgrown that completely (laughs) But, but i don't yeah i think it is a mistake to think that the only reason to be crying is a negative experience
0: if a television producer was to build a reality tv show around you what would it be?
1: Um, (laughs) I'd really like it to be like the bachelor, but for friends. (laughs) So I find it really hard to make friends as an adult. Mm. Um, And especially because I've moved to Melbourne as a late teenager and then I had a baby. So none of the friends that I had had babies because they were sensible. Um, And all the friends I had in Adelaide were still in Adelaide. And, I've never quite caught up on the time that I missed then when I would have been making adult friends. Mm. So it's only now, uh, now that my children are old enough and other people have children now as well. So a lot of my friends now have babies. Um, now I feel like I can actually work on making new adult friends, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how you go to someone and like it's easy if it's, a romantic interest I think where you can just go to someone you, you can ask them out and if they say no then you don't grab them and if you do then you do go out. but with a friend I don't know I always feel like what are they gonna think of me if I go to them and I say hey do you do you want to be my friend are they gonna say to me I've actually got, I've got enough friends which is that's what I imagine that it will be oh, I don't need any more friends actually or because I'm such an anxious person I don't really know what I can offer to them as a friend. Like, hey, do you want to be my friend so we can sit on a couch and we can play Super Smash Brothers or something? But um, I think a a Bachelor-type situation to make similarly-minded friends would be quite good. I'm not sure what the rose ceremony would be like, like what you would do instead. Um,
0: We'd just be controllers.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so, and I'd like give a Wiimote to the one that I didn't like and then give playstation controllers to the others and and then we could i don't know yeah i um yeah i do i i think i don't know a lot of people who as adults find it quite hard to make adult friends um Mm -hmm. a lot of the friends that i have now are my partner's friends and then they have become my friends but i only met them because of him And I do, I find it hard to make friends at work. I don't know, I'm not very good at boundaries, so I find it hard to know when I've crossed into like the creep that no one wants to be their friend but will tolerate because it's work versus someone Mm. that people actually want to talk to. I had a friend as I I a friend, they were, you know, but as uh, as about a 14 or 15-year-old who told me that um, people like me to begin with and then the novelty wears off. And then they don't want to be my friend anymore and that has really stuck with me and that was wow. you know like eight, nearly 18 years ago um and it's still i still think of it as well yeah i mean that makes sense you know i'm i'm a pretty intense person i have as you can tell intense emotions and um and i do i have anxiety and i'm you can be quite um not high maintenance but complicated i guess
0: um this- The things that you feel, though, and the way that you respond to different situations and stuff, they're they're who you are. And if people think the novelty wears off you or anybody, then I'm pretty sure that's just Darwin's natural selection of really just ruling them out as any kind of quality person. (laughs)
1: yeah it was a mean thing for her to say and she wasn't a good friend either so she had a lot of friends but she wasn't a good friend to any of them and I I shouldn't have I shouldn't have taken friendship advice from her at all, but it did stay with me. It is the first thing that I think of when I, at now as an adult, if I have a friendship situation where it hasn't gone quite the way that I had hoped, or the other person seems to have lost interest in me, or where I just think, oh yeah, this is like what that friend said that they've lost, you know, they've lost interest because the novelty's worn off. Um, like I'm funny in small doses or I'm interesting in small doses, but then I'm just really hard work. And that has, yeah, that's really stuck with me.
0: Isn't isn't any friendship hard work? Like it, it for something that is worth it, there has to be work involved.
1: Yeah, and that's I, and I feel that way about all kinds of human relationships. Um, and I don't know whether what I'm actually doing is thinking, oh, other people don't want this to be hard work. So once it starts to feel like it requires not even, not unpleasant work, but just kind of, you know, extra effort or um, once you need to start making time to catch up or you need to work around children or you things that make it more complicated, um, I think I worry that although I would be happy to do that work, that it's a burden on other people to do it and wouldn't it be nice if, you know, they could just hang out with their friends who are easy work not <laughs> hard work. So maybe what I need in a reality show is like, Anna learns how to be a human and then (laughs) it can just be like someone like Brian Cox comes and he just teaches me all about how to be a person Um, and I have like exams and stuff every episode and then it would be like Biggest Loser but for like Greatest Human Growth, Personality Growth or something.
0: I think we need to keep the word loser well away from this entire (laughs) format.
1: No, I agree. But, yes. So it's something to do with making friends.
0: Anna, what are you going to achieve in the next twelve months?
1: Um I I'm very superstitious about planning because mm-hmm. um that's just the kind of person that I am. But I hope so I've just finished my job. Um I resigned from my job to try to be more and this is I hate saying these words, but authentic. Um, I want to live more authentically, which is a terrible thing to say i hate I hate expressing that, but um I want to do the things that make my life feel worthwhile and meaningful mm-hmm. um and although I liked my job, it wasn't providing me with that um and so i'd really like to be able to look back in 12 months and think that I had improved the quality of my life and the quality of the relationships in my life and that this point where I had resigned from my job was where it began and that I had made a good decision um, and that I had made progress. I mean, having anxiety and depression means that sometimes you feel like it's a perpetual issue that doesn't relent And I'd really like to be able to look back in 12 months and think that I had at least progressed from the level of anxiety and depression that I'm feeling right now, which is quite high, Mm. um, to being more manageable and more tolerable. And I don't expect to stay there. You don't – I don't. I've got chronic mental illness, so I don't expect to get better, but I would like to feel like I had – moved forward, even if I go back again a little bit, you know, but, but I haven't just stagnated where I am now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Well, Anna, thank you so much for sharing what you have and, and thank you for your friendship. I, I appreciate what you've shared. Know that you are highly valued and very important uh, and that these things that you have offered today are are appreciated.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. Obviously, you're on Twitter. Where, what other social accounts do you want to admit to?
1: <laughs> admit to? Well, mm. um, I don't really use others much anymore. Twitter is my, I feel like it's my kind of heart space. Twitter is how I would have related to people before Twitter, if such a mm. thing had been possible. So Twitter, but you can always, if I'm anywhere, my username is always Anna Spargo Ryan because there are no other Spargo Ryan's. So I am on Instagram, and you can find me on Facebook if you want, but I, I really only use Twitter. And when I say use Twitter, I mean fairly voraciously.
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> pretty much
1: on there constantly. So, yeah.
0: This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Anaspargo Ryan is indeed human.